Welcome to AEM Early Access, a podcast of the Society for Academic Emergency Medicine and the Academic Emergency Medicine Journal. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and here's what we've got for you today. Cocaine overdose is attributed to over 500,000 cases annually presenting to emergency departments across the United States, and co-ingestion with ethanol is reported in over a third of these cases. The combination of cocaine and ethanol results in the production of cocaethylene, and today we are talking about its cardiotoxicity in a paper entitled Cocaethylene Cardiotoxicity in Emergency Department Patients with Acute Drug Overdose. Lead author, Dr. Siri Shastri, is here to discuss it with us. Dr. Shastri completed her emergency medicine residency at the University of California, Irvine, in 2018 and was chief resident in her final year. She recently completed a T32 research fellowship at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in 2021 and now is assistant professor in the Department of Emergency Medicine at Mount Sinai. Her research interests include management of opioid use disorder and drug overdose, and we are so excited to have her here with us today. Don't forget to read the full text of this article available at open access from the publisher for a limited time. Dr. Shastri, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Okay, so your paper investigates the cardiotoxicity of cocaethylene, which is a metabolite that occurs when cocaine commingles in the body with ethanol. And I'm going to admit that I did not know anything about that until I read your paper. <laughs> but before we get into the paper, can you talk a little bit, just in case there's other people like me out there, uh, about things that we know about cocaine and alcohol co-ingestion? and the ways in which cocaine metabolism is influenced by the presence of alcohol? Sure. Um, so um, cocaine and um, ethanol co-ingestion is um, quite common. Um, in the literature, it's been reported, um, ethanol co-ingestion has been reported in close to a third of cocaine overdoses. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so when cocaine and um, ethanol are ingested together, um, the way that cocaine is usually metabolized, the pathway through which it's broken down, um, alters uh, because of changes in how the liver is metabolizing cocaine. Um, and that's what leads to the formation of the metabolite called um, cocaethylene. Um, so cocaethylene um, tends to hang out in the body for longer than um, cocaine or other metabolites of cocaine would. Um, and from uh, prior studies, um, it's likely that this metabolite has Um, you know, different clinical implications than um, the traditional metabolites of cocaine, um, including a potential for increased um, cardiotoxicity. So you note in the introduction to your paper that current literature regarding the relative cardiovascular effects of cocaethylene compared to cocaine alone are, quote, lacking in consensus is the way you put it. So can you tell us a little bit about that data? Of course. Um, yeah, so there have been some studies looking at cardiac outcomes like cardiac arrest or myocardial injury, arrhythmia, or QTC prolongation and comparing those with uh, cocaine alone versus cocaethylene. Um, but the findings in these studies are pretty divergent. Um, there's been some that found that um, larger quantities of cocaine alone were more cardiotoxic than cocaethylene, while others found the exact opposite and found cocaethylene to be more cardiotoxic. Um, So a lot of variation. Um, And also one of the other issues with the current literature um, is that it's, um, you know, most of the data is primarily limited to either animal studies 
um, or human studies that were performed in very controlled lab settings with mm. um, IV formulations of cocaethylene given to um, study participants. So obviously what we're going to see in uh, patients presenting to the ED with overdose is going to look very different than what a lot of the current literature reflects. Um, so that's why we felt it was important to look at this question in a real world setting. Okay. And so what questions were you then hoping to investigate specifically with this study? Um, so we specifically wanted to compare differences in cardiac arrest rates um, in adult ED overdose patients um, with cocaethylene toxicity versus cocaine toxicity alone. Um, we also wanted to look at um, myocardial injury rates as well as um, elevation in lactic acid and compare those between these two populations as well. Okay. So tell us briefly about your study design and your methods. Um, sure. So this was um, a secondary data analysis that we performed um, of a prospective cohort study um, where uh, we were collecting data at two academic urban tertiary care emergency departments. Um, we were collecting data from March 2015 through March 2020. Um, mm -hmm. So these were all patients presenting to the ED um, with an acute overdose um, of any substance. Um, so then we specifically for this study, um, we're looking at patients who had a confirmed presence of cocaine on their urine tox. Um, and then um, we were considering those that had confirmed cocaine as well as an elevated serum um, ethyl alcohol concentration. So anything we were considering greater than zero to be a positive. Um, okay. Those were included in the cocaethylene cohort. Um, and then those that just had cocaine on their urine tox, but a zero alcohol level uh, were included in the cocaine alone cohort. Um, you know, it's a little bit of a surrogate measure for cocaethylene because we weren't directly measuring um, cocaethylene within the um, serum. So, but there's mm -hmm. been studies that show that this is a, that, you know, people that take cocaine and eth ethanol uh, together have cocaethylene forming um, within their body. So it seemed like a accurate uh, surrogate measure to use. Okay. All right. So what were your uh, specific primary and secondary outcomes? Um, so our primary outcome um, that we were looking at was the difference in occurrence of in-hospital cardiac arrest requiring CPR uh, between the cocaethylene cohort and the cocaine-only cohort. Um, and then our secondary outcomes were uh, differences in mean um, initial serum troponin and mean lactate concentration between those same two cohorts. So you wound up screening 3,138 patients, and uh, 199 of those were included and analyzed, 150 in the cocaine-only group and 49 in the cocathylene group. So what can you tell us about the characteristics of um, these patients and I believe you also gathered information about uh, other co-ingestants and coronary artery disease and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in terms of uh, demographics, um, both of the cohorts were similar. We didn't find any significant differences in age um, or race or ethnicity between the two cohorts. Um, in both groups, the mean age was about 41 or 42. Um, and then, um, as you mentioned, we did look at co-ingestions and baseline history of coronary artery disease. Uh, we felt that that was important to um, look at and then subsequently control for in our analyses, mm -hmm. um, just because, as you can imagine, with some of the outcomes we were looking yeah. at, um, that can definitely play into it. Um, so we found that um, there was no difference in um, history of coronary artery disease in both groups, um, and then no significant differences with regard to 
uh, the number of co-ingestions. And then in both groups, the most common classes of co-ingestions we found uh, were the same. Um, so opioids, benzodiazepines, and cannabinoids. Okay. Let's talk about your primary outcome, uh, cardiac arrest requiring CPR. What did you find in the cocaine versus the cocathlene groups? Um, so we found that um, a significantly higher proportion of patients in the cocathlene group went into cardiac arrest. Um, so a little over 6% versus uh, 0.67%. Um, so that was just on our unadjusted analysis, just looking at the data. Um, we subsequently did a regression analysis where we adjusted for um, other factors such as age, race, um, sex, and baseline history of coronary artery disease. Um, and after adjusting, we found that um, the odds of cardiac arrest remained significantly higher in the cocathlene group. I see. Okay. How about the secondary outcomes? What did you find regarding those? Um, so the cocaine-only group had a significantly higher um, occurrence of myocardial injury um, on adjusted and unadjusted analyses. Um, so in this, in the cocaine-only group, the mean initial uh, troponin level was 0.16 nanograms per milliliter. Um, versus 0.01 in the cocathlene group. I found that interesting. Um, I, I wasn't sure how to put those two things together. Yeah, right. So it seems like it's a little bit divergent from what we found yeah. from our um, primary um, outcome. Um, and so, you know, we were kind of wondering about that as well, but we kind of did a deeper dive. Um, and we, you know, obviously it's very tough. This is not a study where we can really imply any kind of causation. And we weren't really looking at mechanisms behind um, what was mediating what we found. But we thought that some uh, plausible reasons for this might be. Um, so in the cocaine only group, when cocaine is metabolized um, in the absence of um, ethanol, um, it leads to a metabolite um, called uh, benzoylecnonine, which is a, um, you know, so a metabolite when cocaine is broken down alone. Prior literature has shown that this metabolite um, has, is uh, correlated with troponin levels, um, and it may lead to vasospasm or uh, myocardial cell necrosis. So we think that maybe this is a, um, you know, presumptive mechanistic explanation for what we found with regard to the troponin levels. Very interesting. Did we hit all the secondary outcomes? No, I lost track. Um, I think there was one <laughs> other one. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So with the with regards to lactate, it kind of followed our primary outcome. Uh, we saw that the cocaethylene cohort had uh, significantly higher uh, lactate concentrations compared to the cocaine-only group. Um, so that um, mean lactate level was uh, 4.1 millimoles per liter in the cocaethylene group compared to 2.9 um, in the cocaine-only group. Um, and that remained significant on adjusted analysis. Okay. So what would you want uh, a reader or listener of the study to come away with uh, from this? And, and what do you think needs to come next? Um, so I think our study findings suggest that there may be increased severity of overdose and increased cardiac arrest rates in patients with cocaethylene toxicity um, compared with patients that are uh, presenting with just a cocaine overdose alone. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, um, you know, providers reading this should make efforts to try to assess for co-ingestion of ethanol um, in patients presenting with cocaine overdose. Um, obviously, it's very difficult a lot of times in these patients. Mm. Um, and if they're presenting, you know, um, altered or out of it and not really able to give history, you just kind of have to go off of what you know or hear from EMS. But I think in scenarios where you can kind of, you know, take a targeted history from the patient or really get um, a good history from EMS, it's important to try to elicit that information. 
Um, and if you do know that somebody is presenting with um, cocaine and um, ethanol ingestion, it might make sense to perhaps OBS them for a little bit longer than you otherwise would or consider putting them on uh, telemetry monitoring while they're in the ED um, as opposed to just kind of, you know, having them sit somewhere and have something bad happen. Um, that being said, um, I would definitely um, emphasize to listeners, you know, that these findings are very preliminary. We had a pretty small sample size um, and um, our primary outcome was uh, pretty rare in occurrence. Mm-hmm. Um, and we didn't, um, you know, as I previously touched on, we didn't specifically mention a measure for the cocaethylene metabolite itself. We were kind of using a surrogate measure to make that determination. Um, so I think that these are all things that um, should be addressed by future studies and really larger multi-center um, studies looking at this are needed to kind of validate and better, um, uh, you know, support these findings. Well, thank you so much for your time and your work and for coming on the podcast. I learned a lot <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be sure to follow what you do next. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this month's AEM Early Access. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes at AEM Early Access, all one word. Don't forget to read the full text of this article, available open access from the Academic Emergency Medicine Journal for a limited time. Today's music is by Scott Holmes. I'm Gita Pensa, and we'll see you next time.